We're going to turn in the scriptures to uh, First Timothy, First Timothy, Paul's first epistle to uh, Pastor Timothy, the pastoral epistle, and um, our particular attention this morning is the beginning of chapter two. But uh, I want to begin reading it first in in the first chapter because, in order to get this into context, and you'll see why as we come to these early verses in chapter 2. So from verse 15 then, in chapter 1, we read these words. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight holding on to faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority that we may live at peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness this is good and pleases god our savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the truth, faith to the Gentiles. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word this morning. And as I say, the verses I want us to pay particular attention to this morning are the first verses in chapter 2. Now uh, as we begin this uh, second chapter of this epistle we remind ourselves that this uh, letter was indeed a letter and it wasn't uh, divided up into chapters and verses it was just written as a letter. The uh, chapters and the verses were put in later in order that we could find our way through these various uh, books in the Bible. But we need to remember that uh, there was no divisions into chapters because sometimes the chapters divisions uh, cause us to forget what was in the previous chapter when often there is a flow that goes through. Sometimes chapter divisions are are put in a very good place as far as most of us are, are concerned. Sometimes uh, we would say perhaps chapter divisions are not uh, where some of us might want them to be put because the themes that uh, 
uh, are are not perhaps as uh, divided up as uh, as they might be. So here we find uh, Paul writing to Timothy this letter. And we've noted the theme of this first chapter where Paul urges Timothy to remain at Ephesus, to stay at Ephesus and to deal with false teachers who either wickedly or ignorantly both have the same effect. Uh, They're perverting the gospel and they're rendering it useless in terms of salvation. Uh, People could go to church uh, under these false teachers. They could listen to messages under these false teachers. They could be enamored and, uh, and, uh, and taken up by the teaching. But the teachings were false teachings. They were... Uh, they were um, teachings about various um, theories that the Jews uh, had in respect to Old Testament scriptures and they were perverting the gospel and also they were sidelining the gospel, you remember. The cross was not central to their teaching. Jesus and his death upon the cross and the salvation he offered was not the, the central issue. They were they were perverting it and they were going off on tangents and in other directions they were talking about all kinds of things but it wasn't centered upon the gospel we also noted that it uh, uh, towards the end of that first chapter that Paul reminds Timothy of who he is he reminds Timothy of his calling he reminds Timothy of his testimony He reminds Timothy of all God has done for him, all that God has given to him. Now here in the the second chapter, and indeed in the third chapter, Paul gives instructions concerning the church. And this is really important in our day, as it was right down through the centuries, for us to understand that God has told us what church should be like. God has told us how we should be in church, what we should do in church, what we should not do in church, and it's all here in these epistles. And yet we find when you compare this epistle, and as we go through it you will see more and more, as we apply the teaching of this to the church in general, we find that many churches are nowhere near this kind of teaching. They're nowhere near the sort of standards and the sort of um, the, the sort of picture that God wants for his church. We find people talking about various ways of building churches. There was one recently, a uh, pastor came over from America. He had a he has a particularly big church, but he also has a dubious reputation when it comes to uh, the gospel and what the gospel is and he came over and he uh, brought into the churches uh, in in this area and across the country the idea of a a faster and bigger and better way of doing things but it is not the picture that we find here in scripture it is totally different this is the way that God wants his churches to grow will they grow as big as some of his these churches in America no they won't they won't because the 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 techniques that they're using will attract many many people to those churches but it's not a biblical picture it's not a firm foundation that these people are building upon we're not concerned 
ultimately with numbers here. We're concerned that the church should grow and be a picture of what God wants it to be, that it should follow the teachings here and it should be an example of what Paul is telling Timothy to build his church, how to build his church. So chapter 2 and chapter 3, as we shall go through it, we will see that Paul gives instructions concerning what the church, what the true church looks like. And it's not always a picture that people like. It's controversial in terms of the way people have gone already. You will find there are things that some people will say, oh, I don't like that. There are issues regarding women's ministry. And some of women will say, I don't like that. I'm not going to accept that. I don't accept that teaching. And there are other things here that, that don't go with the trends that we are finding in our world today, but they are biblical trends, and the biblical trends are the ones that we, the biblical trends are the ones that uh, we want. Now in chapter 4 and 5 in this epistle, we find Paul talking about pastoral responsibilities, and then in chapter 6, he instructs uh, Timothy about the man and the woman of God, the perils of false teaching, the love of money, etc. And we shall address all those things as we come to them. But as we begin this second chapter, Paul says here, I urge you then. I urge you then. And I think it's really important that we stop there and we notice that Paul says, I urge you then. In other words, he says, I urge you and he urges Timothy on the basis of what has happened in the first chapter, of all that Paul has said in the first chapter. He's not saying just to Timothy, I urge you. He said, I'm urging you on the basis of the foundation of teaching that has been laid down in the first chapter. In, in the first chapter, we ask, why should Timothy stay at Ephesus? with all the challenges that he faced, and Paul answers that in a, a number of ways. I'm not going to go through those again today. You can go back and you can see uh, in those uh, messages. They're all online. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that the situation in Ephesus was dire. It was a terrible situation. There were all kinds of things going on in the Ephesian community. There are all sorts of uh, ideas and teachings and philosophies and religions. And it was a difficult place to be a pastor. It was a difficult place to preach the gospel. There was so much against Timothy there, but it was the days in which he lived. And Paul says to Timothy, in spite of that, in spite of all those difficulties, in spite of you being young, in spite of you feeling under such pressure, in spite of all that is happening in Ephesus, he says, stay at Ephesus because of the times that he is describing there. In spite of the fact that the churches are filled with, 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 with preachers that are not preaching the gospel, there are men in pulpits that should never be there, there are men in pulpits that are preaching uh, doctrines that are not Christian doctrines. He said, in spite of all that, stay at Ephesus. He's pointed out what it was like and reminded Timothy of what it was like. He said, in these days, in these circumstances, stay at Ephesus. Stay at Ephesus. He wants Timothy to stay 
at Ephesus. And he wants, and he urges Timothy now on the basis of that, upon the foundation of that, he says, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Why? Because of the days in which you live. Because of the circumstances that surround you. Because of the false preachers that are preaching in the churches. I want you to stay. I want you to urge you to pray, he says then. And he also said it on the basis of who Timothy is, of course. Because again, as we looked at that, we said that Timothy wasn't just a, a young guy. He was a guy that had been saved. He was a guy at the age of 15, God had come to him and revealed himself to him and, and Paul had taken him and used him and, and, and brought him up through into the ministry for 15 years and, and, and all these blessings were upon Timothy and he had this calling of God upon his life and Paul says to Timothy, because of who you are, stay in Ephesus and now he says, because of who you are, pray. Because of who you are, pray. He says to Timothy here, if you have grasped the needs of the hour, if you understand the privileged position and ministry responsibilities that you have, Timothy, you will pray. And we say that about ourselves because we were challenged in the first chapter, weren't we, about our own lives. God calling us to stay. God calling us to keep going. God calling us not to leave and find an, an easier situation where we can sit in the back of a big church and put our feet up and say, well, I'm going to church, but we never, never do anything for God. God says, stay in this pioneer situation. Don't give it up. But he also challenges us. We, he challenged Timothy, and we saw this last time. He says, who are you? You are not just a person, young person, older person. You are a Christian. You are born again of the Spirit of God. You have a calling upon your life. You have a ministry. You may not have discovered it yet. But you have a ministry because of who you are. And God is saying that to each of us today. If we grasp the needs of the hour today. If we grasp what is happening in our world today, if we grasp what is happening in the churches today, if we understand the times in which we're living, we will pray. If we understand who we are, if we understand the wonderful work God has done in our lives, if we understand that we're better than to be <coughs> giving in and giving up and just, just taking the first thing that comes to us. I, I look at young people today, young Christians today, and I, I say, why are you, why are you going out with that non-Christian? Don't you realize God has something better for you than that? Don't you understand that God isn't just giving the dregs, but he's got someone special for you? R.T. Kendall, on one occasion, he said, he was talking about unanswered prayer. He said, he said, when he was younger, he said, I, 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 had the, I, 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 I fell in love with this young lady in the church and I, and I really wanted to marry her. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that God would give this young lady to her. And he didn't. And he felt really bad. And many years later, he was happily married. And he, he got a call from this lady in America. And she said, I'm coming over to, coming over to England. Can I come to Westminster Chapel and say hello? He said, yes, by all means do. And she turned up. And you know what Artie Kendall said? He said, thank God for unanswered prayer. 
Thank God for unanswered prayer. You see, sometimes we think we know what we want. And sometimes we grasp the first thing that comes to us. And God says, I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. It's the same in the Christian life. You know, we often we, we think, oh, well, if I go off and I'm not getting what I want in the church and I go off and I do this and I do that, I'm going to have a happy life. You're not. You're not. As a Christian, you will never be happy unless you're following God's will, unless you're doing what God wants you to do, unless you're submitting yourself to the will of God. You will never, ever get the best. Thank God for unanswered prayer. Thank God for unanswered prayer. Romans chapter 13, Paul the Apostle Paul says, Do this, he said, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed it. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. Paul is saying, remember, understand the times. Understand the times in which you live. Be aware of the times and be responsible for those times. So Paul's first instruction then, his emphasis here uh, is uh, the importance. He says, first of all, he says, I urge you. He is talking about the importance. He's talking about the primary. He's talking about the urgency of prayer. Because of the times. Because of who we are. He says, put Timothy because of the times, because of who you are, I urge you to pray. Now, Timothy might have been overwhelmed by the task in hand. Indeed, as we read the first chapter, we find that he was certainly feeling that way, uh, dealing with the false teachers, dealing with the pagan lifestyles at Ephesus. But Paul makes clear that the task is possible if we go about it in the right way. Perhaps there's something today that you feel is just going to is impossible you, you, you think this is just impossible this is never going to happen the, the good that I want to come is never going to come well it begins to be overcome that by prayer and that's what Paul is saying to Timothy he's saying if you pray this is the beginning of dealing with that impossible situation Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, Jesus himself in that 18th chapter, he spoke to people who, had, who were giving up on, on, on life perhaps and feeling that certain things were impossible. Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So if Timothy was losing heart in this first chapter, Paul says the way to overcome that and the first step to overcoming that is to pray. Why? Because Jesus said, told us to do that. He told us to pray. Prayer is the foundation of the bridge into our community. It's the launch pad, if you like, of all evangelistic effort. Charles Spurgeon wrote he said the soul must be the soul winner must be a master of the art of prayer you cannot bring souls to god if you do not go to god yourself 
You must get your battle axe and your weapons of war from the armoury of sacred communion with Christ. You'll be fired with the flame that burned in his breast and consumed his life. You will weep with the tears that fell upon Jerusalem as he saw it perishing. And if you cannot speak as eloquently as he did, yet shall there be about what you say something of the same power which in him thrilled the hearts and awoke the consciences of men. Prayer. Prayer is the beginning of our working in our communities and working with our neighbours and working with those who are lost. Now, you know, we might pray for those who are closest to us, and I'm sure that we do. We'll pray for our families. We'll pray for our friends. We'll pray for our work colleagues. We'll pray for those who we might consider deserve to be prayed for, or we people who we like and we have a, a tendency to, to like. But the Bible tells us and the Apostle Paul tells us that prayer should be given for all men here. He says, I urge you then first of all that requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority. For everyone, the good and the bad. They, he was saying to the people, he was saying, I want you to, I want you to pray for Nero. He's burning Christians at the stake. I want you to pray for him. Domitian, the other one, the great uh, opposer and the great uh, tormentor of the Christian church. This is what Paul is saying. I want you to pray for these people. These people who cause such havoc in the church. These people who cause such pain, such unhappiness in the church. I want you to pray for them, not just for those who are good. Not those who simply we can relate to. In the Old Testament, Samuel prayed, prayed for a people that he was probably very fed up with by the time that we find this writing in 1 Samuel 12, 23. He says, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. He said it was a sin if he doesn't pray for them. For this Jewish nation that had turned their backs upon, upon him and had turned their backs upon God and had turned aside and kept turning aside and kept walking away. He said, he said, it's a sin if I don't pray for you. We need to pray for Israel. Israel is, a, is, is in great need of people coming to faith in Christ and finding their, their saviour at this particular time. In particular, we think of the needs for our prayers for Israel. Samuel said, it's a sin if I don't pray for you. Yes, you may still be in rebellion. Yes, you may still not be followers of Yahweh, but it's a sin if I don't pray for you. It's a sin if we don't pray for the leaders in our own land. Those who certainly are not, many of them, very far from God and opposing the Christian faith in many people in the parliaments today, if you follow the news, are in opposition to the Christian faith and yet we're told to pray for them. In the New Testament, Jesus was the 
great example of prayer, wasn't he? Praying and interceding for a rebellious nation, weeping over Jerusalem. And this is the attitude to prayer. And it's characteristic of the disciples who were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2.42 it said that of them that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Even for those who were ill-treating them. Even for those who would murder them. Even for those who would burn them. Even for those that would seek to destroy the church. Pray. Pray for all. It's not God's wish that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. Now Paul describes his prayer in a number of ways. And I want us to notice some of the ways that Paul describes prayer. This prayer that he's asking Timothy, he's urging Timothy to pray. He said, firstly, as requests entreaties, the Greek word desis, from the root meaning to lack, to be deprived of. Prayer that comes from a sense of need for God to supply what we hunger for. I wonder if we realise how needy our world is. I wonder if we truly understand how impoverished the people are of our neighbourhoods. The people that we meet with. Or they've got big cars perhaps and they've got big houses perhaps and they're, they're dressed very nicely perhaps. And, but do we realise how empty they are? Do we realise how lonely they are? Do we realise what, what a dangerous position they're in, these people? Or they seem to have everything. The psalmist said, didn't he? He said, look at these people, these people who oppose God, they, they hate God and yet God, and yet, yet they seem to be blessed so much. And he said they, 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 they don't have any sickness and they, and they seem to get lots of money and they seem to be get, get on so well. And he said, until I went to the house of the Lord, that was how I felt. And then when I went to the house of the Lord, I discovered, I was reminded of their true situation. I was reminded of how destitute they are, how lonely they are, how empty they are, how much in danger they are. And when Paul says here about uh, praying firstly with requests and entreaties, it's like a begging God, to begging God for these people. Oh Lord, will you save them? Yes, they've got the big houses. Yes, they've got the big cars. Yes, life seems to be going so well, but they're just blinded and they can't see. Lord, will you, will you help these deprived and these people who have nothing, and these people who are going to a lost eternity, and these people who can't take any of these things that they have out of this world, Lord, will you help them, please? Is that the way you feel about your neighbours? Or do you think, well, they're getting on okay. They're happy enough. They, 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 they seem to be enjoying themselves. They, they go off on holiday, and, and, and they've got good health. And, 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 and they've got good jobs and, and, and everything seems to be going well I, I, won't, I won't need to pray I won't need to pray for them I'll pray for the, for the homeless and I'll pray for, for these people but I, I'll, I'll leave those other people because they, they don't need to be prayed for the Bible says that these people are in great need 
for God, it's a need for God to supply what they hunger for. And do we hunger as we as, as, as we pray? Do we uh, are we hungry that people should be saved? Do, do we long for them to be saved? Are we are we hungry in our hearts to see more and more people come into our church and be saved? These people meandering hopelessly towards a, a lost eternity. Richard Baxter, a seventeenth century Puritan, well worth reading the Puritans if you have a chance. I'm sure that uh, Jill will find us a book or two in our uh, library there about um, the Puritans. But this is what Richard Baxter says. He says, Oh, if you have the hearts of Christians or of men in you, let them yearn towards your poor, ignorant, ungodly neighbours. Alas, there is but one step betwixt them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting and ready to seize on them, and if they die unregenerate, they are lost forever. Have you hearts of rock that you cannot pity men in such a case as this? Do you not care who is damned so that you be saved? If so, you have sufficient cause to pity yourself, for this is a frame inconsistent with grace. Paul continues here in his description of prayer. He uses the word proshos. It's uh, a Greek word that uh, means or has the meaning of uh, an act of worship. That word, that Greek, that Greek word was used of the place of prayer or the place of worship that the Jews would assemble in. These little groups of people that would use that, uh, that uh, Greek word, a place of prayer, an act of worship. And we must always remember that when we talk about prayer, we're talking always about an act of worship. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, of course, in that uh, well-known prayer, the uh, Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9, it says, he, he says, uh, Our Father who, are, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, Father, be glorified. That's the first thing that Jesus says. That's the first instruction he gives to his disciples about prayer. Make it an act of worship. Worship God as you pray. Because prayer should be, should always be an act of worship. It's not just saying, give me, give me, give me, give me. It's coming to God and recognizing his awesomeness, making every prayer an act of worship. Even beyond the need of sinners to be saved, our ultimate goal is to glorify God. And many people today would not agree with that or would not even have that on their radar, on their agenda. They would see it as always, if I come to Jesus, Jesus will do this for me. If I come to Jesus, he will do that for me. And that's the reason I'm a Christian. But the Bible tells us that that's not what, uh, that's not what uh, we're meant for. That's not the ultimate aim of our lives. The shorter Westminster Catechism puts it like this. It says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's your first. That's the first aim of man. That's our first priority. Even as we come to pray is to glorify God. 
Evangelistic prayer does a number of things in the way of worshipping God. First of all, it, it demonstrates how much we value Jesus' sacrificial work as saviour of the world. If you don't pray, it's because you don't value what Jesus did upon the cross. If you, uh, if you don't pray, it means that what he, he did is not something that's that important to you. But when we pray and when we understand and when we value what Jesus did upon the cross, we will pray. It demonstrates how much we value that sacrifice. Our prayer meeting on a, a Thursday is uh, we come together and I hope more people will, will come together. But it's because we value what Jesus did upon the cross. We value the fact that he died for the sins of the world and that the world can come to know him. And that's an act of worship in itself. Secondly, it illustrates how much we care about God's own heart who longs for men to be saved. As we think about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, we pray. Why? Because we are concerned. We care for the heart of God. We care for the heart of Jesus. We care because he cares. And we want his heart to be rejoicing in many coming to know him and receive him as Saviour and Lord. If we truly care about how he cares, if we truly care about his heart, we are people who will pray. And again, it's part of worship. Thirdly, it indicates our loyalty to Christ and the Great Commission. We're not our own, we're bought with a price and we're called to service every one of us. You may say, well, I'm just a young Christian. Well, you will find your place, but you are called to service in the same way that I am as a pastor of this church. We are called to service. We are called to be used of God. We are called um, uh, to the Great Commission. And uh, as we take that seriously, and as we remember Jesus' words as he, as he stood on that mountainside, go and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always. As we recognize that and as we recognize our part to play in that, we will pray. We will pray because we recognize that is part of the Great Commission. Do you recognize that this morning? Do you understand that you are called to be part of the Great Commission? As every Christian is, so are you. And then fourthly, to show how much we want others to join in the eternal praise of God. We praise him with our lips, we praise him with many others, but how we long for others to come and to praise him also. As an act of worship, we want to hear of the people of this neighborhood praising God. We want to hear it a crescendo up to heaven. So we pray for them for all the other reasons, but we pray also that they may praise, that they may worship, that they may give God the praise and the adoration that he deserved. You see, prayer is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And then Paul speaks of petitions. Petitions, the Greek word entoxis, meaning to fall in with someone, to align yourself with someone, to come alongside someone, to join someone. And uh, it speaks both, uh, firstly, of Christ's intercession, because the Bible teaches us that as we pray, we come uh, alongside and together and we join Christ in his 
uh, prayer in his uh, prayer for our world. Hebrews chapter 4, 14. Therefore, we read there the Hebrew writer saying, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Uh, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when we pray, we pray not on our own, not in isolation, but we join Christ. We join that great uh, high priestly prayer because that, as Jesus uh, presents his blood before the throne, it is continually a prayer for the, for the salvation of our world. And we join Christ. As we pray. Again, Hebrews chapter 7, 23. Now there has been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing the office, but because we have many, um, sorry, uh, now there has been many, uh, many of these priests since death prevented from continuing the office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Timothy may have felt at times he was on his own. He may have felt at times he was praying in isolation, but he wasn't. Why? Because Jesus was praying with him, so to speak. Again, we read that the Spirit intercedes. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, we read, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes uh, for us through wordless groans and so that the holy spirit we come uh we, we 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 join the holy spirit as we as we pray we're not just praying alone the holy spirit is is praying through us we're not alone in our prayers we're we're joining we're, we're coming alongside we're praying together uh in that way petition praying is is understanding Petition praying is emphasizing. Petition praying is aligning ourselves with the needs of the lost. It's an understanding, reminding ourselves of who we are, where we've come from, and where those people are situated at this present time. Have we been saved so long? not to remember what it was like to feel lost. Have we been saved so long that we, 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 we don't remember what it was like before we became Christians? How empty we felt, how lonely we felt, how frightened we felt? Can we not remember that and pray in that respect? Coming alongside, coming alongside Jesus, coming alongside the, the Holy Spirit, coming along and praying for those who are in such need. And then finally, finally we find that uh, prayer is a prayer with thanksgiving. 
as we pray, we should pray with thanksgiving. You know, when people think about prayer, sometimes they think, oh, that's a, that's a morbid business. You know, that, that's, a, that's a morbid business. I, I don't feel like praying at the moment because it'll make me feel, it'll make me feel down. I'm, I'm happy at the moment. If I go and, if I go and pray, it's not going to be a very nice experience. The Apostle Paul says that he wants people to pray with, with thanksgiving. What's this to pray with thanksgiving? You know, whenever we pray, surely we're, we're reminded of God's mercy towards us. We're reminded of the privileged position we're in. We're reminded that we're on the brighter side of the cross. We're reminded of the fact that we know what it is to be saved and we know what it is to be in the darkness and we know the difference and we're praying for those who are still on the darker side of the cross, so to speak. And we're grateful for the fact that God has brought that salvation to us. When we pray, we pray with thanksgiving. We remember, first of all, who God is. We remember, first of all, what Christ has done for us. We remember who we are. We remind ourselves of the, of the glorious relationship we have with God. We remind our, ourselves of the fact that we're heading for heaven. We remind ourselves of the fact that we have a wonderful commission to fulfill. Remind ourselves that we're not alone. Remind ourselves that as we pray, we pray with Christ. Remind ourselves that as we pray, we pray, we can pray under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Remind ourselves of all these things and prayer should be a time of thanksgiving. Charles Spurgeon, he put it like this, he said, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Paul urges Timothy, he says, Timothy, the days in which you live are dark. Your neighbourhood is dark. Your community is dark. The church is full of people who are not living in the right way. But Timothy, because of who you are, because of the commission that's been given you, because of the life transformation that God has done in your life, pray. Pray, I urge you to pray. It's needful, it's necessary, it's desperate. Pray. Thank God we are saved. Thank God we have the privilege and the opportunity afforded to pray, to reach out to others. Thank God that in spite of the days in which we live, this is still the acceptable time. This is still the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this instruction to this young pastor, Timothy, to pray. Prayer that would change situations. Prayer that would bring people to the throne of grace. People that would, a prayer that would break down the hardest of hearts. Lord, help us to be people who pray. Help us to be people who have confidence to pray. Help us to be people who understand the hour in which we live and the people who you have made us and the commission that we have help us to pray for we ask it in Jesus name Amen, Amen.